Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Historically, we're united in our view of the authority of Scripture. Uh, we're, we're united in our view of uh, salvation by, uh, by faith through Jesus alone. And what binds us together is generally, generally stronger than what drives us apart. You've seen this illustration. I have a power strip up here. I used this a few months ago. And, you know, if you recall, what's wrong with this? It needs to be plugged in, plugged in the power, doesn't it? I wanted to use that illustration again as we start the Sermon on the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the, we must plug the power strip into the wall. Remember that. Always remember that. And as Christ followers, as Christians, as Jesus followers, we must be plugged into the Holy Spirit as well. We've got to be plugged into the Holy Spirit. Now, we've got to remember also along those lines, the passage says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every Christian is reborn, and every Christian has the Holy Spirit. But it's okay and appropriate, and I believe biblical, to pray for a special presence, a special dwelling of the Holy Spirit within us, a special filling of the Holy Spirit. We do know that there are certain things that would inhibit the Holy Spirit, that would stick God's hand, and those things would be living in sin. You know, not being connected to the community of believers of, of the church. If we're not reading the scriptures and being involved in the spiritual disciplines, we're limiting the Spirit's work within us by our own free will, you might say. About four years ago, Mercedes was about two years old. She was a cute two-year-old. She's a cute six-year-old. Um... I went away, you know, for a few days on this continuing education trip. By the way, children are dismissed to junior church. I forget to say that, but they're running down the hall, so I guess they got the hint. Um, so, uh, but, but, but by the way, it's great to have the children, you know, when they're doing a program, sometimes they're gone from the whole service, but it's great to have them worshiping with us. It really is, and it's important for children to see their parents, their grandparents, and adults worshiping the Lord. It's an awesome example for them. And many times we, we, you know, sell short how smart and how brilliant they are. And they're way capable of understanding way more than we realize. So back to my uh, two-year-old Mercedes illustration. Uh, I went away on this continuing, educa continuing education trip. And I, I came back and I'm sitting, sitting next to Mercedes. And, and, and she's standing up or something. And she says, one two, and then Megan says, she's going to jump on you, and then she says, three, and she jumps right on me. Now, <clears throat> luckily, Megan uh, warned me, because even certainly a two-year-old can be something when they just jump on you out of the blue, but that takes faith, doesn't it? It was a new game that she had learned, a new little activity that she had learned during those few days when I was gone, and kids have a lot of faith, way more faith than adults. I mean, Gosh, they let us throw them in the air and do all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, and have faith, we're going to catch them. That time, Mercedes didn't even tell me the rules of the game. She just, one, two, jumps. We have to have faith. We have to trust the Holy Spirit's presence within us. The Holy Spirit's power within us. Some of these next comments on the screen. Do we live the Christian life knowing that we are not alone? I don't like being alone. The Christian is never alone. You see, one may think, I can never overcome this addiction. 
but you're forgetting you're not alone. The Holy Spirit is within you. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is within you, and you're not doing it on your own. You may think, I, I can never get rid of alcohol, but remember, you're not alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. You may think, I can't read the Bible. I don't understand the Bible. But remember, the Holy Spirit is your teacher. If you're taking notes or if you get copies of the sermon, you can look up those scriptures uh, later. John's Gospel, chapters 14 through 17, all about the Holy Spirit. You may think, I can't be a witness. I don't know enough. What if I don't know the answer, but you're not alone? Luke 12, 11 through 12, the Holy Spirit tells you what to say. The Holy Spirit is your mouthpiece in witnessing to others. You may think, I can't pray, I just can't. Or you may think, I'm, I'm so mad, I'm, I'm mad at God, I'm angry at God. But the Holy Spirit prays for you, you're not alone. Romans 8, 26 through 27. My theme today is that the Holy Spirit is still with us. The Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit in the early church is in your life now. Live knowing. Live knowing that you're not alone. Live knowing that the Holy Spirit is present with you. The Holy Spirit is still active today. But how do you lean on the Holy Spirit? Understand that the Holy Spirit is not a force. This is not Star Wars. If you want to watch Star Wars, that's okay. I haven't seen the two recent movies because Star Trek is way better. But, but the Holy Spirit, Star Wars is okay. It's exciting. But the Holy Spirit is not a force. This is not use the force. This is, he, he's, a, he's a person. The Holy Spirit is always referred to as a person in the Bible. He's always referred to with a personal male pronoun actually as well. And, and I asked the question, how do you lean on the Holy Spirit? You don't lean on the Holy Spirit when you're not stepping outside of your comfort zone. When you don't try doing something for God. But when you try doing something for God, you experience this, the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. When God takes you out of your comfort zone, you experience His presence. There's a lot of details about the Spirit, I'm going to tell you, and they're in the notes if you get them. They're also on the screen. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God manifested in three persons. The Holy Spirit is a, por a person, not merely a force. The Holy Spirit is intelligent. We see that in 1 Corinthians 12, 11. The Holy Spirit has a will. You see that in 1 Corinthians 12, 11 as well. The Holy Spirit teaches we see this in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 26. The Holy Spirit can be grieved, Ephesians 4.30. The Holy Spirit can be insulted, Hebrews 10.29. The Holy Spirit is God, Acts 5, 3 through 4. By the way, when you look at Acts 5, 3 through 4, you see in the same passage, the Holy Spirit and God referenced in the idea of lying to the Holy Spirit and to God. You can also see uh, John's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 16 through 19 and 23. Jesus says he's leaving, yet he will come to the disciples with the Father. The Son and the Father come into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The degree of separateness and unity in the Trinity is a mystery. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share divinity. One God, 
yet are distinct in personality. Don't miss those things. So as Christians, how is the Holy Spirit active in our lives? I would really encourage you to read Francis Chan's book, Forgotten God. I have at least one copy, maybe two in my office, that you could borrow if you want. It's only a couple hundred pages. And why is it called Forgotten God? Because we often forget the Holy Spirit is fully God and is with us as Christians. Let's think of the Bible's teachings on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our teacher of spiritual truths. There's one scripture on the screen, John 14, 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. Many times, we don't act like we have a supernatural teacher. We avoid the Bible. We avoid theology. We avoid doctrine. And I think this is because we diminish or trivialize the Holy Spirit as God with us. Why do we live our life powerless when the Holy Spirit, God being with us, is with us all the time? Jesus said at the very end of the Great Commission, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus said that he was leaving, but he will send the helper. He will send the helper. And I must always remember that as I preach, the Holy Spirit is active in the congregation. Our church leaders must remember that the Holy Spirit is active in the congregation. Do you realize how many times I've preached this sermon and somebody comes up to me and shares a different insight afterwards? And I think, they get that. The Holy Spirit is active. One of my favorite preachers who I've learned so much from, Chuck Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll. We're even on a nickname basis. I call him Chuck. Um, Chuck Swindoll, he writes about preaching a sermon. And after the sermon, a man said, a man came up to him. His church is big. He didn't even know this man. The man came up to him, and the man said, my wife called you, didn't she? He said, no. The man said, come on. I know she called you. He said, no, she didn't call. The man said, come on, just tell me. I know she called you. Chuck said, I don't even know who you are. Your wife did not call me. He thought, he thought Chuck Swindoll was preaching at him. It was the Holy Spirit's work, taking the message, taking the word of God, taking the word of truth, and applying it to hearts. The Holy Spirit is our mouthpiece in witnessing to others. So I said the Holy Spirit is our teacher. Now the Holy Spirit is our mouthpiece in witnessing to others. In Luke 12, 11 through 12, Jesus says, When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities... Do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. As you know, the apostles were later countless times brought before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, and the Holy Spirit spoke to them and through them. But Christians through the ages for the last 2,100 or so years have been persecuted and the Holy Spirit has given them the words to say. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been in a situation, a conversation, and God brings to mind certain scriptures. And you think, where did that come from? It came from the Holy Spirit. When I was first going through a discipleship training class and learning scripture and 
learning how to study the Bible. I would get in these conversations and scriptures, Bible passages would just come to my head. And I thought, where would that come from? It was the Holy Spirit's work. But this is difficult. We must remember that when we witness, we are not alone. When we share our faith, we are not alone. But we never know that the Holy Spirit is with us if we do not lean on him and depend upon him. If we do not step outside of our comfort zone, we will not experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. Peter walked on water, right? Matthew 14, 28, he did. It's there. You can look it up. But he wouldn't have done it if he did not get out of the boat. He had to take that step. He had to take the step of faith. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. The Holy Spirit is our mouthpiece in witnessing to others. The Holy Spirit is our helper in prayer. He's also our helper in prayer. In Romans 8, 26 through 27, it says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. That's a really awesome passage. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. The best application I've heard of that passage was from my youth pastor, still a good mentor and friend. He just retired from youth ministry at 70 years old. Can you imagine doing lock-ins at 70 years old? Gosh, I can't imagine that. Um, great guy and passion for youth. But his daughter, his daughter died of leukemia when she was about 17 years old. She got it. She recovered, went into remission. It came back. And after his daughter's death of leukemia, he would meet with a friend of his for prayer, and he just couldn't pray. He would just weep. And he said the Holy Spirit was interceding for him, as this passage says. It's okay. It's quite good to be silent before God in prayer and let the Holy Spirit intercede. Let the Holy Spirit intercede. We don't have to talk too much when we're praying. It's okay to be quiet. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. The Holy Spirit is our helper in witnessing, our mouthpiece in witnessing. The Holy Spirit is our helper in prayer. The Holy Spirit is our purifier of our hearts. Our purifier of our hearts. Acts 15, 8 through 9 says, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them. For he purified their hearts by faith. The Holy Spirit purifies our hearts. He makes us holy. He sanctifies us. He conforms us to the image of God. The Holy Spirit is at work transforming us. You are not alone. We need to trust the Holy Spirit. I have three illustrations for you. The first is a testimony from Ray Jeske of ESPN Radio. And then I'm going to share from Forgotten God by Francis Chan. Then I'm going to share a longer illustration about the Great Awakening in the 1700s. I was at Fellowship of Christian Athletes at the University of Mount Union, FCA. And Ray Jeske spoke, and he gave a story about the Holy Spirit working in his life. Years ago, before that, he was on his way to visit the launching of a church plant. 
Now, a church plant is a startup church. It's a new church. And Ray Chesky's friend was the pastor of this church plant. And he had $5 with him. That's all he had. And as on his way to that launch at a school, his meeting at a school, his gas light came on in his car. He's going to Wadsworth, the other side of Akron. And his gas light came on. And he was running, you know, just perfectly on time. So he thought, I'll get gas on the way home. But he only had $5 in his pocket, remember? And so during the church service, his friends saw that he was there. He saw that he was there to support him. And they took an offering. They took an offering for the church plant. He had $5. That's all he had with him. Maybe this was before debit and credit days at gas pumps. But that's all he had was $5 with him. They take this offering, and he thought, I need that $5 to get gas. I I don't want to run out of gas on the way home. But he felt the Holy Spirit prompting him to take the $5 that he had for gas and to give it to this church. He told the Holy Spirit, no, I need that money for gas. So the Holy Spirit prompted him a second time to take that $5 and give it to that church plant. Holy Spirit, no, I need that money for gas. I need to provide for my family. This time, he even referenced 2 Timothy 5.8, which says that if a man does not provide for his house, he should be treated as an infidel. The third time the Holy Spirit prompted him to give that $5 for gas, he gave the $5 in the offering plate. He obeyed the Holy Spirit. He left the worship service early, thinking he had seen his friend, and his friend knew he was there. The $5 went into the offering as a love offering for that plant. He leaves early, giving the money, expecting to have to hitchhike home because his gas light was on. As he drives, he sees a woman hitchhiking, and the car steered over to her, or or, or it was if the car steered right to her. It was like he felt like he had to pick her up. He does. He picks her up. She's a biker woman, and it, it, who says she says they call her Wild Thing. They start driving, and she says she was bar hopping with her friends, and her friends left her. She says she prayed, if someone picks her up, she will give ten dollars for gas. She gave five dollars. She prayed she would give ten. They get gas. Ray shares who he was and where he came from. She shares that she needs prayer for her 17-year-old son hanging around the wrong people. He witnesses to her. Her real name was Carol. He got home without running. It wasn't, no relation, right? Uh, How amazing is that about dependence on the Holy Spirit? I have another one. It's not in my notes, but maybe the Holy Spirit gave it to me, so I'll give it to you. Chip Ingram, you can hear on Moody Radio, he has a program called Living on the Edge, and he worked with uh, FCA as well, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and he was in seminary, and he says what he, his financial portfolio could fit, you know, on less than a page. He had no money, he's going through seminary, and he comes home one day, and his wife's crying, and he says, what's going on? And she says, well, I was talking to the neighbor, and... uh, Her husband left her, and her rent is due. Her rent's due. And he says, well, we'll pray for for her. And she says, his wife says, we've already done that. I would like to pay to help her 
to provide for her to pay her rent. Now, he said, okay, that's fine, but our rent's due next week or something like that, and us paying for her rent means we only have something like $20 left. She says, okay, and he says, okay. So they give the money to pay her rent, and they wait to see if God will provide. And the next day, there's no money for them to pay their rent. And the next day, there's not. And the day, the very day their rent was due, he got a letter in the mail with a Green Bay Packers logo on it on the top. And the, guy, the letter says something like, you may not remember me, but you gave a message at Fellowship of Christian Athletes at one point, and I received Christ as Lord and Savior. And now I'm playing football for the Green Bay Packers, and I felt led to give you, to send you this check in the mail. And it was more than enough to pay their rent. It's trusting the Holy Spirit, yeah. And you give God the praise. In Forgotten God, Francis Chan shares, the truth is that the spirit of the living God is guaranteed to ask you to go somewhere or do something you would not normally want or choose to do. The spirit will lead you to the way of the cross as he led Jesus to the cross. And that is definitely not a safe or pretty or comfortable place to be. The Holy Spirit of God will mold you into the person you were made to be. This often incredibly painful process strips you of selfishness, pride, and fear. For a powerful example of this, read in C.S. Lewis's book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, about the boy Eustace, who becomes a dragon. In order to become a little boy again, he must undergo a tremendous amount of pain as the dragon's skin is peeled away and torn from him. Only after he endures this painful process is he truly transformed from a dragon back into a boy. Sometimes the sin we take on becomes such a part of us that it requires this same kind of ripping and tearing to free us. The Holy Spirit does not seek to hurt us, but he does seek to make us Christ-like. This can be painful. In James McDonald's book, Vertical Church, James McDonald shares about uh, the Great Awakening revivals. He shares about John Wesley, who lived from 1703 through 1791. He was one of the founding members of the Methodist movement. And in his journals, they are filled with descriptions of unusual physical manifestations that accompanied revival. For example, when John... Um, when describing the effects of a sermon on Saturday, July 14, 1759, he wrote, Several fell to the ground, some of whom seemed dead, others in the agonies of death, the violence of their bodily convulsions exceeding all descriptions. There is also a great crying and agonizing in prayer mixed with deep and deadly groans on every side. During these great awakening revivals, they're preaching to thousands of people who were receiving Christ as Savior, and the Holy Spirit was present. In dramatic, dramatic ways. George Whitfield, a friend of John Wesley, a close friend of John Wesley, lived 1714 to 1770. When he heard reports of people responding boldly in Wesley's meetings, Whitfield confronted his fellow preacher in a letter dated June 25th, 1739. He writes, I cannot think it right in you to give so much encouragement to these convulsions which people have been thrown in your ministry. But a very short time later, Whitfield had to reserve, Whitfield had to reverse his judgment. When people began without any prompting, 
to respond outwardly during his meetings. Henry Venn, a contemporary of Whitfield, wrote of the crowds listening to the great preacher. Under Mr. Whitfield's sermon, many among the immense crowd that filled every part of the burial ground were overcome with faintings. Some sobbed deeply, others wept silently, and a solemn concern appeared on the countenance of almost the whole assembly. Even Jonathan Edwards, who lived 1703 through 1758, described the sometimes unusual, unusual events that would accompany a revival. Writing of those who would find God's grace for the first time, Edwards said, it was very wonderful to see how persons' affections, persons affections were sometimes moved. When God, as it were, suddenly opened their eyes, their joyful surprise caused their hearts, as it were, to leap, so that they have been ready to break forth into laughter, tears often at the same time, issuing like a flood and intermingling a loud, a loud weeping. There are other descriptions of the Great Awakening and of these revivals. Later on, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a pastor and writer in the 1900s, wrote that these phenomena are not essential to revival, yet it is true to say that on the whole, they do tend to be present when there is a revival. The Holy Spirit needs to be present. He needs to be present in everything we're doing as a church. He needs to be present and active in your lives every day. A.W. Tozer shares, the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, and he came to do, and he has never left. The Holy Spirit came, and he came to do, and he has never left. Tozer further says, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on, and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop. And everybody would know the difference. Unfortunately, I happen to agree. I hate being alone. I do not do good being alone. Solitary confinement would really mess me up. Thankfully, I am not and never will be alone. And neither are you. You're not alone. The Holy Spirit is at work within each of you. The Holy Spirit is at work within each of you. And we come together as a church, the Holy Spirit is active in our church. And I believe the Holy Spirit is strongest in community, in Christian community. And the Holy Spirit is strongest when we plug into him and we trust him. Because too often we're just plugged into ourselves and our own strength. And then, when we, and then guess what? We blame God when he doesn't seem to be working the way we want him to. Plug into God. Plug into the Holy Spirit. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much. You're with us, oh Lord. With us. The Holy Spirit is with us. We are not alone. Lord God, I pray that we are trusting you as Lord and a Savior. And we're trusting the Holy Spirit's constant presence and constant power with us as well. Oh Lord, be with us. Be present in us. May we trust in you. The first step in trusting in you is to surrender our life to you. Commit our lives to you, trust in you as Lord and Savior. Believe that you died on the cross for our sins and rose again. Confess that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Help us to trust in you today. Help us to serve you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God.